9. Continue our study in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. And any children here, kindergarten to second grade, can be dismissed to uh, Children's Church if they'd like to head out to Children's Church, kindergarten to second graders. You can find that through the door over here by the piano if you'd like to go. The rest of you open to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. It's on page uh, 633 in your pew Bibles. Just a reminder, we have our quarterly business meeting this Tuesday night, so if you're a church member, we hope to see you there as we get together quarterly to do the business of the church. That's uh, Tuesday night at 7.30. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. This morning, uh, we're shifting our focus in our study through the book of Proverbs. We're changing direction a little bit. The blinker's on, we're getting off the highway, we're going on a different, connected but slightly different uh, emphasis this morning. Uh, Because, as you know, for the past several months, uh, we have been studying in Proverbs this theme that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we've been looking at. Uh, we've been looking at this idea that if we want to gain wisdom, which is what Proverbs is all about, is to impart wisdom, that the source or foundation of that is the fear of God. And so uh, we've been looking in Proverbs at what Proverbs has to say about who God is. We, we want Proverbs to inspire our reverence for God, to give us a greater vision of who God is. So uh, if, if you've been here for the last couple of months, you know we've been talking about uh, God's holiness, God's sovereignty, God's omniscience. You know, just taking uh, in the panorama of all that God is so that hopefully we'll be inspired to love Him more and worship Him more. Uh, but as I said, today we're kind of shifting focus. And we're shifting from the character of God to the character of a person who fears and worships God. So we're moving from who God is to therefore, if I fear and love God, what's that going to look like in my life? What does a wise person look like? You know, what are the symptoms of wisdom? How do you know if you have it? And some of you I know are like, you ever go on WebMD to look up your symptoms? You're feeling sick? You're like, some of you should not have that because you're like, you know getting yourselves freaked out, like, oh, I have this cough and this ache, and I better, oh, look, I could have this rare tropical disease. And it's like, no, you don't. Just go to a real doctor. Stop playing doctor. But, you know, the same way, like, how do we know if we have the symptoms of a uh, person who is truly wise and who truly fears the Lord? What does that look like? And so that's what we're shifting to here in Proverbs. Without losing sight of the fear of God, we want to say, what are the marks of a wise person? And today we begin with the mark that perhaps first and foremost we should have if we're going to have true wisdom. And that mark is integrity. Integrity. It says in chapter 10, verse 9 again, the man of integrity walks securely. And there's a couple of things about integrity that we could say about this concept biblically. The one is that it's kind of a blanket term for everything that we should be as Christians. It it sort of summarizes. Uh, In fact, do this. Put a finger here in Proverbs chapter 10. And let's just turn back to Proverbs chapter 2. I want to show you how this word, the Hebrew word for integrity, is used in the book of Proverbs. And we're just going to go real quick. Boom, boom, boom. Look at some of these texts. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7. It says, 
He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. That word blameless in Hebrew is the same word for integrity. Or turn back to Proverbs chapter 10 and look at verse 29. It says, The way of the Lord is a refuge for the righteous, but it is the ruin of those who do evil. So that word righteous is the same Hebrew word for integrity, which is the same Hebrew word translated blameless. Or uh, just to give you another for instance, look at chapter 13, verse 6. It says, Righteousness guards the man of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. So, so this idea of integrity can also be translated blamelessness or righteousness. In other words, it's kind of an umbrella that summarizes everything we should be as Christians. You know, integrity in our speech, integrity in our relationships, integrity, like we're talking about here, that DTI class, integrity in our finances. The kind of life that God wants us to live is comprehensive. It it involves all of our lives, every dimension of who we are, and and that's all subsumed under that. It's kind of of like um, the holiness of God is, is in some ways an umbrella that summarizes everything that is glorious and awesome that sets God apart. So in the same way, I think integrity is an umbrella that captures everything that we ought to be as followers of Jesus Christ. So what is integrity then, uh, biblically speaking? Uh, we could go to Webster's Dictionary and define it, but I want to look at what the Bible says about what integrity is. What does it mean to be a person of integrity? And the biblical idea, if you had to kind of summarize it, I would put it, I would say the basic idea is soundness, or wholeness, or completeness. It's something that's solid. It doesn't have cracks or, or faults or problems with it. Um, so if, if, you use, if you look at that word, that Hebrew word, sometimes it's applied in the Bible to our physical bodies. And there it's referring to health. So, you know, you go to the doctor and you have a checkup and the doctor says, okay, I'm going to do some blood work. And if you don't get a call back from us, you know it's good. And then you don't get a call back. You're like, okay, I must be sound. I must be healthy. That's what this word means. Uh, sometimes the word is used in religious contexts to describe the sorts of uh, sacrifices that God wanted from his people when they worshipped him. And those sacrifices were supposed, were supposed to be without defect. They're supposed to be whole or sound. Uh, it's used in building terms, for those of you who are builders or in construction. It's used to describe the completeness and soundness of a, a building that is finished and it's been signed off by all the inspectors and there's no problems with it, and it's like, this is a good, solid building. It's complete and whole, and there's no uh, major structural flaws with it. You know, near where I live, uh, there's this construction project going on. They've been building these uh, condos, these townhouses, and uh, there's this one that they started on a couple years ago. They poured the foundation, and they framed it, and they put the decks down, and then something happened with their permitting. And so they, they got their permits pulled, and the construction stopped. And that framed house sat out in New England winter and rain and elements. It must have been for over a year. I mean, I wasn't keeping track. But I don't know how many times my wife and I would drive by there. We're like, they still haven't finished that thing? Look at that. You know, and the snow's piling up on it. And, and then they finally got their permits like a year later, but it's after it had been sitting out in the elements. And then they, you know, put the sides on it. And then they threw up the next house uh, next to it, and, and that one was done in short order. So you have these two condos that if you were a prospective buyer, you're driving in, you're like, oh, look at these beautiful, brand new, no one ever lived in it places. Oh, they're both wonderful. But what you don't know is that one has been sitting out in the elements, you know, with untreated wood exposed. I was talking to a builder in our church, and I'm like, 
is that like bad for the house? You know, I don't know. And, and he's like, yeah. He says the, the plywood can become unlaminated. It can start, the glue can start breaking down. The wood can start absorbing uh, additional moisture that wasn't intended to absorb and start cracking and, you know, it can start dry rotting from the inside. He's describing all these things that could happen. I'm not saying that is happening there, but it's, it's a potential. But the point is, again, you, you look at the houses from the outside. You go, oh, really nice condos. You know, these are really new. No one's lived in them. And people can look at our lives and be like, oh, look at all these nice people. You know, they're dressed nice. Talbot's J. Crew. And look, you know, they drive nice cars and they have an iPhone and, you know, they're well educated. And, and we can look at our lives and say, you know, we're, we're all nice, decent sort of New England people. But what's going on inside of our lives? Are we, do we have moral integrity? You know, a person can look healthy, but they can have a disease in their body that you don't see at, at first until you do that blood work. You know, it's spiritually speaking, morally speaking, are we healthy? Are we sound? That's what this word integrity is all about. Uh, it, it's that God wants us to be morally sound and righteous. When I think of a person of integrity in the Bible, besides Jesus, of course, who is the ultimate person of integrity, who never sinned and always did the will of God. But besides Christ, when I think of integrity in the Bible, one of the people that jumps to my mind is Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, you know Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. Maybe you've seen that one. Uh, yeah, you know Joseph. Uh, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of his sons was Joseph. And if you know the story from the Bible of Joseph, he was like the favored son. And the dad loved him more than the others and, and gave him this special, beautiful coat. You know, perhaps it was like a chieftain's coat. Uh, and he was going to be the chief of the tribe or something. We're not exactly sure. But whatever it was, it was a favoritism. He, was, he showed special love for Joseph. And uh, if you've been in a family where one child is favored over the others, you know it really doesn't help family dynamics, uh, we'd say today. There's a lot of bitterness and envy and infighting. And so that's how it was then. And these guys, they hated Joseph. And it was like that, that rot, you know, the wood inside was, they look good on the outside, they're just, you know, one big happy family, right? The family of God. No, 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 no. On the inside, they're being filled up with jealousy and, and bitterness, and that anger was rotting and warping their souls until finally it burst out in the open. And one day, in an impulsive moment of anger, they're all sick of Joseph, and they said, we're going to do something about this. Here comes Joseph. Here come some slave traders, and they took Joseph and they sold their brother into slavery. And then they took Joseph's technicolor dream coat, put some blood on it, brought it back to their dad, and they're like, I don't know, Dad, I think he got killed by an animal, you know. Like, this is what we found. And, of course, the dad was devastated that their brother is sold into slavery in Egypt. In fact, let's pick up the story there. So this is where the story of integrity really begins to shine. Uh, Put a bookmark in Proverbs 10. Let's read the actual story in Genesis, chapter 39. First book of the Bible, Genesis, easy to find, chapter 39. Genesis, chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph, it says, had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, so Potiphar's like the head of the the Secret Service. He's a captain of the guard for Pharaoh. He brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now you'd think being sold into slavery by your brothers might be an occasion for being angry with God. 
that, that it might be a reason to be bitter and to give up on your faith because if there's a loving God, why would this happen to me kind of thing? But not Joseph. He decided he was a man of integrity. He said, you know, even though this is not ideal, I'm going to honor God and glorify God even in this situation. And, and the Lord blessed him. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered even in slavery. Uh, he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So he was like slave of the month, uh, month after month. And, and finally, Potiphar's like, wow, this guy's good. I'm going to make him my personal attendant. Um, and uh, verse 4, Joseph found favor in his eyes, became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So even in difficulty, he, he's going to honor God. He's going to walk with integrity. And the story is about God blessing Joseph despite the things that are happening. God is still with him. But of course, integrity is always challenged. Integrity is always tested. And his testing comes in verse 6, halfway down. The new paragraph. It says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. There's the temptation. But he refused. He said to her, With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has, not withheld, has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, even be with her. The key verse there, if you were going to underline a verse, it's kind of a focus verse that really captures the heart of this. I think is that, that sentence in verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That's the essence of integrity. Integrity is when even though all the circumstances are pointing you to sin against God, and perhaps even your own natural human desires might be pushing you to sin against God, the person of integrity keeps their moral compass pointing north because above and beyond the circumstances they see God. And they fear the Lord and they say, yeah, but God is there. God is righteous and I love the Lord. Jesus has saved my soul and, and I love the Lord Jesus because He loved me. How could I sin against my God? So ultimately, this is not a sin against himself or even her or even against her husband, although it's all that. But above and beyond that, it's a sin against God Himself. All sin is sin against God. Eh, but it's not hurting anybody. Yeah, it's hurting God. It, it's an affront to His glory. You know, He's God. And even though no one else sees it, God sees it. And Joseph realizes that. And so, the testing reaches its zenith in verse 11. It finally comes to a, a point. It says, One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Ah, no witnesses. The perfect crime. You can get away with it. No one's ever going to know. And so she caught him by the cloak and again says, come to bed with me. But he left her cloak, his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph loses another robe. <laughs> the perfect crime. Nobody is watching. 
Nobody will see this. This one can go under the radar. You're on the desert island. No one's going to know this takes place kind of a situation. Someone's going to know. God is going to know. God knows everything. And you're not going to get past Him. Even if Potiphar never finds out and in his whole life never knows this, the Lord is going to know. And Joseph fears God. He says, I'm not going to do this. You know, I read that and I just think, you know, do we have that kind of integrity? Because we're going to be faced with challenges like that. You know, at some point or another, often many times, often every day, we're faced with opportunities to commit the perfect crime. And it could be like this. It could be an illicit relationship that's just not appropriate. Or it could be some, you know, it could be pornography or whatever. You know, there's just opportunities to be like, no one's going to know. This is a secret relationship. But God knows everything. Or it could be other things. It could be, you know, in school. The opportunity to cheat on a test, to uh, download a term paper, you know, whatever. Uh, But to somehow take the shortcut and the teacher will never know. And you know what? So many, half the other kids in the school do it anyway. So what's the big deal? You know, it's the perfect crime. Or, or the situation could be, um, it could be at work. You know, that it's like if you ignore this little ethical issue over here, you might increase profitability 15%. You know, 15% is 15%. And so, I mean, everyone else in the industry does it. It's sort of a common thing. So what's the big deal? Uh, God's watching. That's what the big deal is. God's honor is at stake. And so we really have to examine ourselves and be like, do I have that kind of integrity that even were I given the perfect circumstances where no one would know, would I still honor God because I love and fear the Lord? Would I have that kind of righteousness in my life? Or maybe a better question is, wouldn't you like to have that kind of integrity in your life? Because all of us sin in some way or another. There's no one perfect. All have sinned. There's none righteous, it says in the Scriptures. Um, No one has perfect integrity. But wouldn't you like to have more integrity? I mean, when you read the story of Joseph, is there some part of your soul that's like, I would love to be like that. I would love to be more like that. I I want that kind of integrity and righteousness in my life. Do you just kind of hunger for that? You know, Don't you ever just get sick of all the, the corruption in the world around you? And it's like, I don't want to be like this. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Christ. I want to obey God even when all the circumstances are going this way. I, I just would love to have that Holy Spirit-empowered moral compass to keep following the Lord even in a tempting situation. Do we value integrity that much? Do I value it with my children? What am I teaching my children? Am I just basically teaching them to be busy because they're in you know, soccer and hockey and football and baseball and ballet and kung fu and, you know, whatever else they do. You know, that's something my wife and I are always wrestling with. Like, how much do we have our kids do? You know, are we just teaching them to be busy and strung out? Or do we ever, how do I teach my kids that the fear of the Lord is the most important thing in life? How do you teach your kids that? That's what, that's what I'm wrestling with as a parent. How do I instruct them that reverencing and loving God is the most important thing? Do I value that kind of integrity above all else? Uh, do we value it uh, in our, our church leaders? Is integrity the most important thing in choosing someone to lead the church? Uh, is integrity a, a value that is elevated in our office culture? Some of your managers, executives, you lead people. Uh, I lead people. I have an office culture that I create as a leader in the church. And I have to ask myself, is integrity a value that is being 
uh, elevated in the, the corporate climate that I'm in part affecting as a leader in industry or wherever you are maybe a leader. Do you value integrity when looking for a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend? You know? How important is that to you? I mean, you know, it's really hard being single sometimes. Not always, but sometimes it is. It's really hard. But I'll tell you what, it, is, it would be better to be single your whole life and have some really lonely Christmases than to be married to an ungodly, wicked person. Way better. Better to, to be single your whole life than to be married to someone who is corrupt and, and just tears down your faith. I mean, if you, if you have the choice, you know, if the choice is put in front of you. Character and righteousness are so important. We need to value them as, as God's people. And there's good reason to value them. Go back to our main passage, chapter 10, verse 9. We've got to look at the other half of that verse. It says, The man of integrity, which we've been talking about, we've been defining the man of integrity, but look at the benefit of being a person of integrity, or a boy, or a girl, or a woman. The man of integrity walks securely, walks confidently, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, walks uh, with a sense of safety about them. It's so liberating to follow Christ and to walk securely. It's really a freeing kind of thing. I think people think of Christianity, they're like, Christianity, oh, that's so oppressive. I mean, it oppresses people, and it's a drag, and you can't have fun, and it's a bummer, and makes your life really dull and tame and, and sedate. It's like, no, it's so liberating to follow Christ. Righteousness is liberating. And it's freeing just to, to say, you know what, my life is so simplified, I just have to honor God in all that I do. There's a, there's a real freedom in that. You know, sin brings slavery. Uh, wild living brings slavery. It brings a slavery to alcohol, a slavery to guilt and shame. But being free to know that I have a clear conscience is so invigorating. There is nothing like the freedom of having a clear conscience. There's no other freedom like that. That's the real life, is to live free before God and to know that I'm forgiven in Christ and that through the Holy Spirit I'm walking in His ways. That's the way to live. So he says we walk securely, we walk confidently. Um, Let me just think with you, practically speaking, again looking at verse 9. In what kind of practical ways do we experience security and confidence when we walk in integrity? And How does that play itself out literally in our lives? And I would just like to suggest... Three ways, uh, quickly here as I sort of wrap this up, three ways in which walking in integrity grants us a sense of security and confidence. And the first one is this. When we walk in integrity, and in, uh, it gives us security in the sense that it guides and directs our life. So, uh, integrity gives guidance. So look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. Turn over one page. It says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So there's real wisdom in integrity. You know the way forward. Sometimes life is so confusing, and you're in a situation that's like being in the the center of a hurricane. You don't know where to go. It's all just a storm around you. You don't know what decision to make. Maybe that's the situation you're in today. But I'll tell you what, if you're walking in integrity in the fear of the Lord, you always know what to do. You don't know the full story. You don't know where your life is going completely, but you at least know the next step. The next step is do what it takes to honor God, to glorify Him, and to obey Him. It's really very simple. 
You're like, well, I don't want to just know the next step. I, I want to know five steps down. That's why I'm awake at night. I'm, I'm thinking about what if, what if, what if. Stop thinking about that. And just focus on what does God want me to do next. And do that. See, being a Christian does not mean you know what your future is in store or where your path will lie. But I'm going to tell you this. Being a Christian means you should always know the next step. You don't even know two steps out, but you know the next step. The next step is, look at your life. What do I need to do to trust and obey God? Maybe what you need to do is just stop, relax, rest in the Lord and pray and trust Him. Maybe that's the next step. So take that step. And God will show you the next step. And so take that. And then what you find is, as you learn to trust God step by step, you look back, you go, oh, I'm on a journey. And I see how the Lord's leading me. But you have to trust Him. And integrity, trusting in God and fearing Him, guides us in our lives. And so that's security in that. So that even when you know it's chaotic and people are like, what are we going to do? And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know this, I'm going to trust God this way. Boom. You take a step and God begins to lead you and guide you even through difficulties. So one way that we find security through integrity is that it guides us. Secondly, another way that integrity gives us security is that it delivers us from attacks. When people attack us because of our integrity, then we know that that God is going to deliver us and shield us. Uh, You see that in chapter 11 again, verse 6. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. And so, sometimes you're attacked because of your integrity. Sometimes, some of you have had the experience of people making slanderous, false accusations against you. That's a very painful experience. But if you have integrity, you know, at one level it hurts, but at another level you're like, well, so what? (laughs) There's a freedom in it. Because you know that ultimately the truth will win out. And so even though it hurts to be accused of things you haven't done, there's also a confidence in it because you're like, well, whatever, you can say whatever you want. I know who I am before God. I know what I've really done or what I've said or what I haven't done or what I haven't said. And God knows it too. And so... I'm free. And there's real confidence in that. You know, I, I hope you people understand this. And I hope I understand this too. That if I'm going to be serious about following Jesus Christ and living a life of moral integrity according to God's will, you are going to get static from the world. It's just a given. It can come in different forms, different levels of intensity. You're going to get it. Right? And you don't even have to be that preachy, really. You don't have to be preachy at all. You just have to go to work or hang out with your friends or whatever and just don't do what the world does. And you're going to get static for it. It just is going to happen. You go into the office place and simply by the fact that you don't engage in all of the nasty trash-talking gossip, the fact that you don't participate in it will make people really uncomfortable with you when they're around you. Or if you're in school, the fact that you you know don't party and you and you don't you know drink like the other kids and you you don't sleep around like the other kids, the fact that you do that will put you on the outside in many ways. Um, you, you know, everyone at work is so nice and they all you know oh yeah we're we're all here we're all tolerant we're open minded. But I'll tell you what, you challenge a business decision that's being made on ethical grounds, and you say wait a minute that's not right. And if that business decision by going the right way will cost the company money, you just watch the resistance come out against you. 
Because, you know, the bottom line is really the bottom line for so many people. And if you say, hey, I know it's going to cost us money, but we can't do it because X, Y, and Z. Well, just see how tolerant people become. You will be resisted. People will dislike you if you believe that life is sacred and that even life in the womb is sacred. If you believe that, that marriage is between a man and a woman, you know, imagine that, this belief that's been held by all cultures and all people throughout all of human history. If you're so crazy as to believe that, there's some people who are going to hate you. They're going to write you off as a bigot or whatever. Just, you have to understand that walking in Christ is going to bring static from the world. I was having um, prayer time and, and Bible reading time with my two older kids. I, I sit down with them. We're reading through Acts right now with my two older kids. And, you know, we just read like a little paragraph or something at a time we talk about it. And um, it was interesting afterwards because in Acts there's a lot of resistance that Paul receives. And my kids said to me, they said, you know, Dad, they said, when we're at school, we feel like, like weirdos a lot, like people think we're weird. And they said, but when we're in church, we feel normal. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> you know? I feel like kind of a square peg out there. And I try not to be. And you don't, like I said, you don't have to be one of these obnoxious, are you saved, brother, you know, kind of people. You don't have to be like that. You could just be a regular Christian who's actually maybe a little too quiet about your faith. But if you just live a life of integrity, you're going to feel like a weirdo out there in different ways. Not, not by everybody, not, but it's there. Okay? And then you come to church with people who love the Lord Jesus and are trying to honor Him, and you're like, wow, I feel at home. That's as it should be. Not that that means we hide from the world. We need to be salt and light out there. We're not, you know, we're not called to cloister ourselves in the church and be like, eh, the world. No, we've got to go out and be salt and light. But understand that you're going to feel uncomfortable, and at times you're even going to take hostility for it. Um, people, Potiphar's wife is alive and well in the 21st century. She has not gone away. And she's still tempting us. She's still alluring us. And she is still ticked off when we scorn her. And if you don't go the way of temptation, Potiphar's wife will pay you back. It's just like she did Joseph. What happened to Joseph? He got sent to prison. Uh, after Joseph said no and, and he left his cloak in her hands, uh, she told her husband, oh look, he tried to seduce me and look, I got his cloak right here. And he believed his wife and then he sent him to prison. So for being a man of integrity, Joseph got sent to jail. It happens sometimes. There is persecution. But as Christians, we believe that God will sustain us and that ultimately God's purpose will prevail. Which leads me finally to the third way in which integrity secures us. It gives us guidance. It gives us confidence even in the face of attacks and persecution against Christ and in our character. And ultimately, it gives us security on the judgment day. What's more important than that? That someday when Christ returns, when someday the little baby in the manger comes back as the holy conquering king, I have security to stand firm on that day. Let me just look at one more text with you, and this will be our final text. Put it, you can just turn there. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's on page 1172 in the Pew Bible. I was reading this passage recently just in my own Bible study time and was so uh, affected 
I was powerfully affected by these verses. 2 Thessalonians 1. Isn't it funny you read a passage 20 times and you read it the 21st time and then it blows you away? The Bible's like that. You think you've read it. Oh, yeah, I've read that verse. And you read the verse again and the Holy Spirit just speaks to your heart. I was spoken to by this passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10. to 10. Page 1172. It says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So Paul's writing to Christians who don't feel like they fit. And they're getting static for it. They're being harassed. They're being persecuted because of their faith in Christ and the lifestyle they live. But look what Paul says, verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Potiphar's wife will be paid back. When? When's it going to happen, God? This will happen when... Oh, good, we have a timeline. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. That's when it will all be set right. When Christ returns. And get this, verse 9, uh, verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Those who reject Christ and His death for them on the cross, and those who don't know God, God, Christ is going to punish them. You get this? Verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. This is serious. This integrity stuff is not just, well, integrity, I'm glad that works for you and that's true for you, but this is true for me. This is life and death. This is eternity. It doesn't matter you know, what you think of integrity or not. If you don't have a life of integrity and obedience to Christ, there is a great judgment coming. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, verse 9, and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Do you really think you can endure that day without Christ? Do you really think you can st- you think you can take that? I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how much money you are. Nobody will endure that day. When Christ returns in His glory and the just judgment sentence comes down, guilty before the awesome God of the universe. And then to think of God casting you out of His presence. Out of the presence of Jesus who is the essence of joy and glory and hope. And to see Him fading away as you fall you know, backwards into the bottomless abyss of judgment. And to think that the last thing you will see through the open door of eternity is not only the glory of Christ, but look what it says that as he's, in verse 10. He's glorified in His holy people. And so around Christ, you will see you know, your mom who is always harassing you about your faith. And there she is glorifying God and you ignored her because, oh, mom, mom. And there's your spouse. And there's your children who are like, mom, dad, you've got to come to church. You've got to come. And there's that pesky neighbor who's always inviting you to that lame Bible study. And, and there's that religious weirdo from work who everyone just ostracized because they're like, you know, one of those Christian types who is always trying to tell people about Jesus and you're like, forget it, I don't need that. And there they are. Now you see them standing in the presence of Christ. 
the people you loved, the people who prayed for you, the people who pleaded with you, and you ignored them and ignored them. And now there they are, glorified, entering in to joy unspeakable forever and ever and ever and ever. And that is your last glimpse of joy. And then the door is shut forever. Do you think you can endure that? As you fall into eternal ruin? But praise God, that day is not today. It is one day closer than it was yesterday. But it's still not today, praise God. Today, the door is open. And today, the Lord Jesus stands at the entrance of the door with arms extended, with nail marks in His hands, saying, Come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, those of you who are just exhausted living a wretched, unbelieving, sinful life like we all have lived. And Christ says, come. He says, repent and believe in Me. And there's forgiveness. There is cleansing. There is a new life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The church cannot give you this life. The sacraments cannot give you this life. You cannot receive this life by just trying to be a better person. It's only received through faith in the Lord Jesus. And He says, come. Come all you who are weary. And so come to Christ. Come for your own souls. Because today the door is open. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we love You. And we thank You that You are a holy God. And I thank You, Jesus, that You are the, the One who had perfect integrity. And I thank You that Your integrity